Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Gathering all the information you would need to stay ahead of the curve on your crypto investments. Welcome to Thriller Rundown. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Rundown. My name is Car Car Gonzalez. Today is February 5th, 2020, and we are talking, that's right, Bitcoin and a trillion dollar economy by 2030. But before we dive into that, we have to talk about lightning. That's right, Bitcoin lightning in today's rundown, starting now. The Rundown. All right, so today we are talking Lightning Labs. That's right, they are raising $10 million in a Series A financing as it gears up to launch its first paid service for merchants looking to accept Bitcoin payments. But what does that mean, Car? Well, it's similar to how Visa relieves banks from handling all fiat currency traffic. Lightning relieves the base Bitcoin chain from handling all transactions, thus bringing more speed and fee efficiency to the network. Now, if we kind of step back, we can see that Lightning Labs released a beta version of the scaling solution LND in 2018, and they previously raised 25, I'm sorry, 2.5 million in a seed round from the investors like Jack Dorsey, uh, Square Executive Jacqueline Reese, uh, Charlie Lee, a couple people from PayPal. Basically, what happened is they launched a mobile wallet app in June 2019, and as of today, the company has offered a paid service called Lightning Loop. But Loop aims to help merchants manage their payment channels more effectively. Lightning payment channels need to have Bitcoin in them in order to stay open, which is a problem for those who actually use these channels without a perfectly balanced in and out flow. But Loop in helps people put funds into their existing channel, kind of like a prepaid debit card for a Lightning account, right? And so Loop Out is currently the most popular product because it allows people to continue receiving funds on Lightning. Ultimately, by creating, you know, these few Lightning apps, they're hoping to create this kind of um, multi-path payment system. And hopefully over time, this will create an, an off-chain and on-chain approach to how we handle Lightning payments. And as everything kind of scales up and everything kind of works its way, um, building out from these channels for, for Bitcoin, it's hoped that, uh, uh, you know, this medium of exchange or this means of a micropayment or this remittance uh, infrastructure will eventually lead to this mass volume of liquidity in Bitcoin. And they're hoping to kind of become this decentralized version of what the Visa or MasterCard payment system looks like, but something that is not controlled or uh, or easily you know um, blocked, right? Because you have a lot of different payment channels open that you can subscribe to or close or open with. And Lightning Labs is hoping to offer all of this by 2021. And it's pretty amazing because if you think about it, these are the decentralized finance solutions that we've been talking about, right? Like the future is, is kind of 
coming ahead. And it's uh, it's a very fascinating because Bitcoin is growing up <laughs> right before our eyes. Uh, don't take my word for it. Take a listen to Elizabeth Stark as she talks about this. Yeah, so it's been four years now. It's crazy. Four years since I uh, started getting involved in this whole thing. Even before Lightning was a thing, getting interested in payment channels, networks, what could we dump with Bitcoin script, Bitcoin contracts? And honestly, it's been a, a wild ride, right? But if you look back to the early days of the internet, right, 1969, you had the creation of ARPANET. And then it wasn't until the early 90s that you had Tim Berners-Lee and the World Wide Web. So there's actually this, this class of trolls on Twitter that loves to troll me. And they love to say this thing about 18 months, where supposedly Lightning's supposed to be ready in 18 months. At one point, I, I may have commented like a, a beta was going to be out. And we actually did ship, by the way. But they love to troll me about 18 months. And here, my philosophy is, well, we're really in the beginning of this marathon. And by the way, most Lightning development of uh, Sea Lightning, Eclair, LND started in late 2015 early 2016. So, you know, Testnet came in 2017, beta in 2018. Like, I think that's pretty damn good, right? Like, yeah. there, we don't have that many developers working on this. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're in the early days, right? And it's not going to be perfect. We've heard about a lot of the challenges. Also, oh yeah, the trolls love to talk about like how lightning will never work. And I think as a community, we're very honest about our challenges. We saw so many talks about, you know, uh, Carla gave a great talk about lightning, uh, FUD, and exchanges. Will was talking about usability and all the challenges that are there. And we know about them. And if anything, I think they're exciting problems to solve. And it's going to take time. Like, it's not, you know, Rome was not built in a day. And this is not going to happen overnight. So when we've had the betas come out of the various implementations, there weren't really any solutions around liquidity yet. And I was at a meetup the other night, and somebody actually said to me, um, works at a fund and said, oh, I was chatting with you know, somebody from my fund and they said, they don't think Lightning will ever work because you can't solve liquidity. And I laughed. And I said, well, that's kind of like saying to people in the financial world, you know, you'll never have a financial system because you can't solve liquidity. It turns out people are like making trillions of dollars a year around issues of liquidity. So I think similarly in the Lightning realm, you know, things have progressed like quite a bit in terms of, you know, if you think about early to mid-2018 as the initial mainnet betas. We've seen so many liquidity solutions emerge. We heard about the Thor API. Um, we'll hear about Lightning Loop tomorrow when Alex Bosworth talks about that. We heard about Lisa's proposal. So I actually think we've seen a lot of evolution in terms of solutions for liquidity. On the flip side, as I said, this is evolving, right? It turns out this is an opportunity for people you know, that want to commit capital to the network um, to be able to monetize their capital and providing liquidity is going to be a key portion of this. So one thing I like to say is not all capital on Lightning is equal. You know, you could have a node that doesn't actually have good channels and good connections, and that's not going to be equivalent to a node um, that has, you know, good connectivity, good channel management, um, that's able to balance and manage your channels. Um, so for example, you know, we saw some parties, that they may be even here in the room, that deployed a lot of capital onto the network. Um, they, they won't remain nameless, but many people know who that is. And um, it turned out, that just opening lots of channels, you know, max channel size, was not really the most effective way to deploy capital onto the network because now you actually don't have well-connected channels. They're actually unidirectional. They're going in one direction. So if you want to flow through other nodes, that's not actually going to be efficient and effective in terms of liquidity. And then you have somebody like, you know, Alex Bosworth, who I know is here in the room, running a lot of nodes with yells.org. 
Alex actually charges higher fees on the network, we'll get to fees in a second, and he hadn't deployed nearly as much capital, but was actually earning a return and able to allocate that capital efficiently. So Alex has done a lot of work in terms of node scoring, we call it the Boz score at Lightning Labs and Autopilot. So to me, one of the key themes is, you know, not only is not all capital on the network equal, but enabling the efficient allocation of capital on the network I think is a key, key theme and something that we're going to see you know, progressing and moving forward. We've already seen a lot of products that are starting to enable that, and that'll only emerge even more so over the next you know, couple of years. So the, for the person that said liquidity will not be solved, by the way, I talk to a lot of people in the financial world as well. You know, I'm a tech person. I am not from finance, so I, I kind of get to be like, hi, I'm from the internet, and I'm explaining Bitcoin to you. And when I start to talk to them about these financial products and things like liquidity, they get really excited, their eyes light up because they see the parallels to their industry and they also see opportunities. So if anything, Lightning in and of itself, it's an open source protocol, but it's also a new type of financial market and we'll see new assets and new ways of kind of commoditizing liquidity emerge on this network. Yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome when this actually does kind of take place in I think if, if we're looking at it from like a, just say, a, like a, a macro approach, this should probably, I would assume, probably be done by 2024, 2025 at the latest. Um, and then also another thing you have to realize too is Visa and MasterCard, they're totally comfortable just using credit cards. <laughs> like they haven't made any progress. I think they've done a chip uh, here recently in the past decade or so. Uh, now there's like touch to pay with, uh, with, with your card. But other than that, it's... Um, it's, it's going to become painfully obvious that uh, when you have Visa and MasterCard taking three or four uh, percent of your of your transaction to all these, um, you know, these vendors and these these restaurants and these these different people that, that utilize their network. Um, and then the, the price of, of, uh, of Bitcoin is going to continue to go up. It's going to be a no, no brainer for a lot of these places to choose uh, Bitcoin and Lightning instead uh, and pay a really lower fee. Or if anything, uh, maybe one or two satoshis per payment, um, it's just going to become it's going to become increasingly a, uh, like self-aware for a lot of people in the space that um, Visa and Mastercard might become obsolete this decade. Uh, I'm just saying it, it it just seems like that's the inevitability, and it doesn't seem like Visa or Mastercard are trying to do anything to stop it, especially them just jumping off of Libra, and now this I don't know it's not looking good for them. Okay, with that, let's get into. That's right. Five good minutes. Five good minutes. So today in a five good minutes, we were talking Ethereum ready to take off. That's right. I I wanted to do this because I feel like there's so much going on and we're probably going to go over the five minutes, but I'm going to try to squeeze it all in and I, I really want y'all to know what's coming up. So five, five minutes starting now. Okay, cool. So first up, we got to let everybody know that Ethereum 2.0 tested with 100,000 stakers currently right now. One of the most advanced Ethereum 2.0 clients. Uh, Lighthouse has successfully tested running the network with 100,000 validators. That's right. So Lighthouse runs 100K validators like a breeze, according to Danny Ryan, meaning this is now moving with Ethereum 2.0, starting to become a bit more real. 
In addition, Ryan, Danny Ryan said that these high validator participation is around 300K validators. So that, that's currently the max. That suggests, this suggests that they're targeting about 10 million Ethereum being staked or about 10% of the total supply, which might be locked out starting perhaps in June of this year. Um, and why is this a big deal? Well, just take a look at Tezos right now and see what it's doing kind of skyrocketing. And the reason it's skyrocketing is because of, of staking. And once Ethereum starts this whole process, and once you have Coinbase, and you have Gemini, and you have Kraken, you have all these different exchanges start staking ETH as well, you'll start seeing that, that, that price increase as well. Um, another thing you want to pay attention to is that the deposit contract for, for Ethereum 2.0 is hopefully to launch this spring. So formal verification of the contract was just released. Um, this work needs to be out for the public review and commitment for at least six weeks before they launch the deposit contract. So as long as there's no major issues, they hope that the first presumed uh, multi-client test nets will happen in April or May. This puts us at around a timeline at around July 30th for a main net launch. So we could potentially have the main net launch here on August 1st, hopefully, if everything goes well. And then finally, we have to talk about Ethereum futures. So if we look at the Ethereum futures, um, this is something that's going to be entering the market right around this time as well, too, around August, September, October, November. Now, we've touched on this before, but Heath Tarbert, the chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, has said that they are doing a lot for this digital asset space. And they are seeing exchanges starting to list, you know, Bitcoin futures and other kind of cash settled ways of physically handling Bitcoin. But he's hoping that Ethereum futures will happen as well, and things are starting to look like it'll migrate later this year. So this is overall good for the space, right? I mean, we want the CFTC to kind of wrangle in these different cryptocurrencies, right? If Ethereum is next, then what we'll see is Ethereum futures launch, and then at that point, Ethereum becomes valid, right, um, in the eyes of institutional investors, and they start taking uh, interest and what Ethereum is, they go start, you know, researching it. And before you know it, a lot of hedge funds start having Ethereum rolled into it and it becomes a whole uh, new commodity market, uh, just like just like with Bitcoin. In the beginning, yes, futures significantly caused the price <laughs> to collapse initially. But now if you look at fast forward two years later, even 10 months later, you can see that Bitcoin in the eyes of these institutional investors is taken more seriously and they can keep denying it all they want, but uh, the facts are there. And with Ethereum, this will, will happen the same way. People will start viewing it as, 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 uh, as a commodity. And uh, hopefully over time, we'll start seeing Litecoin get added, maybe Bitcoin Cash, maybe Zcash, um, and who knows what else after that point. But um, seeing Ethereum futures launch later this year, and then we have such a great uh, chairman at the CFTC running it now, Heath Tarbert. Uh, he's bullish on a lot of the stuff, which is great too as well. So that, that shows that, hey, he's willing to work with us, not like Jay Clayton <laughs> from the SEC, right? So th there's, there's this give and take. And so to me, this is good news. This is overall great news for the space. And Yes, initially, maybe Ethereum will go down, you know, initially once these futures launch later this year or even early next year. But uh, for the overall decade, uh, Ethereum will will continue to be staked more. 
there will be continued adoption of the cryptocurrency, continued uh, exploration as far as like DeFi apps and all that stuff. And eventually um, it'll just become one of the many commodities in, in, the, in the digital asset market. And that's a cool thing because eventually if we can get like a Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, um, Zcash, maybe even Dash, um, maybe Monero, who knows, right? If we can get all of these on there, these hard cryptocurrencies, um, then at that point, um, we have ourselves a pretty cool market. <laughs> and it's it's kind of crazy to think that um, and now having, having Bitcoin futures and then now having Ethereum futures, uh, and then you have proof of stake, um, like later this year, like this is, this is going to cause Ethereum to go seriously parabolic. And right now we're seeing it go up to what, 210 today, I think it was 209 or something like that. So it's not surprising to a lot of people, but uh, a lot of people didn't, didn't think Ethereum was going to go anywhere once it went down to $80. And I was one of the few people out there that was just like, Hey, um, don't sleep on Ethereum. Like this is one for the decades, right? I think when we look back um, from 2020 to 2030, I think people will say, "Gosh, I should have bought more Bitcoin, and I should have bought more Ethereum," because um, this is gonna, this is really gonna take a really long time, and we'll be able to find a lot more out towards the end of this year. So, um, yeah, just keep in, just keep an eye on it. I mean, if you're somebody like me, who who has uh, devoted a lot of his time and money into Ethereum, then you're probably going to be wondering like, hey, what's next? And I just told you what we have planned up. So um, next thing I'm looking for here is May to see if um, if everything gets launched. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Okay. And I think, yeah, I think that's five good minutes on Ethereum. There's a lot to cover there and I hope it wasn't too fast, but yeah. All right. I'm ending the show with Bitcoin could be a trillion dollar market by 2030. Let's do it. Quote our truth. The Hard Truth. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You know, one of the things I like about taking a 360 approach to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is um, getting everybody's opinion, right? Um, when it comes to technology, I, I trust my own. <laughs> but when it comes to like seeing where um, where these institutional investors are going to be headed, um, I, I look to all these these wealth managers, right? These inst- these institutional wealth managers, like you know, some of the things that we looked at earlier uh, last year was you know Fidelity stepping into the space and wondering, okay, when is Vanguard going to get into it, or when is BlackRock going to get into it? For right now, it's just Fidelity, right? Um, and it was very interesting because on the Citizen Bitcoin podcast, um, this is an episode with Andy Edstrom. I'll put a link in the show notes. He has a book you should definitely check out. It's called Why Buy Bitcoin? Investing Today in the Money of Tomorrow. He talks a lot of the same stuff that we talk about here on the show. And he says, and this is a guy who is um, highly experienced um, in the wealth manager. He's a wealth manager. And uh, he recognizes Bitcoin's potential. And he believes the top cryptocurrency will likely reach an $8 trillion market cap. He says, when I set the upside case for an investment point of view, I take a 10-year view. And I think the total valuation on 10 years that I use is about $8 trillion. 
And that comes from various buckets, whether it's taking share from gold or taking share from fiat or taking share from offshore assets or slightly uh, demonetizing other sorts of value like real estate or new uses that we haven't even thought of yet. Whether it's micropayments or things enabled by Lightning or it's ABRA or some other systems whereby you can get synthetic exposure to any asset in the world just by holding Bitcoin as collateral. He said, so there's all these areas for upside. <clears throat> he goes on to say that the fact that Fidelity and ICE, the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange, stepped into the space, he finally feels that um, Bitcoin is ready for institutional clients. And he says this legitimized um, Bitcoin in a way because it made other uh, smaller cryptocurrency companies um you know, something that they could never do, right? And this is why futures are very important, was very important for Bitcoin. It allowed for all this stuff, right? This is why Ethereum futures is very important. But if we go back to Bitcoin for a second, he says, if I step across the table back to the dark side where I came from, for the financial establishment, I could care less whether a company named Zappo or BitGo has a qualified custody. I start to care when Fidelity and the New York Stock Exchange parent company are real. So that is definitely in my mind a shift. So that's one thing. He said, of course, another factor is the price. You point that out. He says, once we get back to 20K, more people will start looking at it again as a digital asset and something that has future potential. He says, a decade of the best performing asset, which is last decade, um, he says that that came out last year. Um, it's important because people will start looking at Bitcoin as a long-term hold through the 2020s. Um, he goes on to say it a lot, and I'll put a link to the to the podcast. You can check it out. Um, he talks for about an hour and a half. Um, the guy sounds sounds highly, highly, highly intelligent when it comes to financial markets. So he definitely knows what he's talking about, and um, it's it's pretty interesting <laughs> that he sees this being an eight trillion dollar market cap. Um, there's some things that I totally agree with. Um, you know, as far as like the technology behind it and, and seeing lightning as it further develops, you know, they will have these certain pockets, these certain payment channels that are worth, you know, you know, millions of dollars of BTC in them. Uh, and they will be staked in, in a way, right? A centralized stake into lightning. But um, it'll all take time. And I think it's going to happen here fairly fast by at least 2025 and, and through 2030. All right. Yeah, I think in, in Bitcoin and in crypto, it's very easily easy, uh, I should say, to, to lose sight into where we just were, right? Uh, if we look at 2016, 2017, uh, we had maybe like one or two places we could buy, you know, Bitcoin from a mobile wallet. Um, and Square changed all that, you know, the next year. Um, and so if we look at something, if you look two, three years down the line, we're going to make big strides. I think by 2023, 2024, Lightning will be a thing by then. Uh, by 2025, we'll start seeing um, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Zcash and all these different digital assets getting traded on commodities markets. Uh, if we start looking even further in the decade, maybe that will be an ETF at that point, right? Um, and what I'm trying to say is ultimately, with the dollar plummeting, um, I think we will start seeing Bitcoin make some move here. So... Trillions totally in the ballpark. See you guys next time.